Well, this morning, our scripture text comes from John chapter 17, and we're going to look at verse 21 through 23 this morning. Let's hear God's word. Then all of them may be one, Jesus said, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to your word this morning, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. God, help us as we come to come into an openness with our heart. Lord, say what you want to say to me. Do in me what you want to do. And Lord, I pray I would be out of the way, and God, what is done and said would be for your glory and honor, and then may get deep into our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I'm going to be talking with you about staying together or standing together when the world is trying to pull us apart. Now, I realize this is a big topic to try to cover in a short period of time, so I'm going to try my best. Um, But just realize that there is a lot more we could say and a lot more direction we could go with this particular text. But as we start out this morning, um, we've already acknowledged today is World Communion Sunday. And uh, World Communion Sunday was an idea that was thought up in 1933 by a pastor named Hugh Kerr. He was a Presbyterian, and he went to Shadyside uh, Presbyterian Church, and he, along with his congregation, thought, you know, it'd be really great if we could come up with something that we would do with other people of faith within the Christian vein that would recognize our oneness. And uh, so they came up with this idea that we'd have a day where the churches would all celebrate Holy Communion together recognizing as we come to the table that we are one through Jesus Christ. Whether we have a little bit different beliefs, we do worship different, we are in different spaces, have different names. And so that really didn't catch on. So it wasn't until World War II that after that, people saw um, just the mortality of people. They saw how broken the world had become. And all of a sudden, there became more of a desire How do we show our oneness? And so for the Christian community, it became this way that we reached out across churches and said, on this particular Sunday, we're going to gather together and we are going to acknowledge that we all believe in Jesus, so we may have different ways we do it and how we practice our faith, but we all come around Jesus believing he has made us one. And so that's where World Communion Sunday came from. And what we find is whenever we experience genuine oneness, there's a great power and witness in it. Last year in November, I had the privilege of going to jurisdictional conference. Now, conferences can be fun, not so fun at times, but jurisdictional conference in the United Methodist Church is where we go to elect bishops. And so last year um, in November, as we gathered, we were electing three bishops for our jurisdiction. And so um, I was sitting up in the balcony with some of my colleagues. I was not a voting delegate. We were watching, and, and they were kind of giving a primer on how this election would go. They said, okay, here's what will happen. We'll cast ballots. The delegates get to vote. And then after we get the results, we'll probably not know a bishop right off the bat. Um, we'll probably have to go back and vote again. So what will happen is delegates 
will get together with other delegations and they'll start trying to politic for who they want them to throw votes to that'll have actually get this certain person elected and then maybe we can um, then get them sent to your particular area of the country. Well, the results came back and when they did, they said, hey, we've got an announcement, we've got the election, results are back and we have an election of a bishop. So everybody was pretty excited. Yeah, we've got one done. But then the announcer said, we don't only have one, we have two elections. And everybody just kind of had a gasp because it's like, whoa, that just doesn't happen. And they said, actually, we don't just have two, we have elected three bishops. We elected all the bishops on the first ballot. That had never been done before. And not only that, we elected the very first African-American black woman from our jurisdiction and the first Native American bishop ever. And everybody just kind of went, whoa. Because in a moment, a season where the church has been struggling with division so heavily, it was almost like God showed up in a moment and showed a glimpse of oneness. And there was a sense only God could do this. And this is pretty powerful. And it was a holy moment. I know we have some people here in our, our church in, that meet at um, a particular restaurant, a particular night, and they join in meals together and, and they pray for one another in fellowship. And that witness of their oneness reaches out and touches the people who come to that restaurant and people that serve in that restaurant. And they may give their prayer requests. There's something about that sense of oneness that has a testimony to them. They see a glimpse of what God has come to do in the world. Now, this morning as we talk about this idea of oneness, you know what we find is that John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for not only himself, but then he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for all those who are going to believe in him in the years to come. That means us, y'all. And of all the things that Jesus decided to pray for us in that prayer... He picks this one thing. He says, I pray that they may be one as Father, you and I are one. Of all the things he picked, now would that be the thing you and I would have picked? Wouldn't we maybe have some other things on our agenda? But that's what Jesus picked. And why do you think he picked it? Well, I think a couple of things. One, because Jesus is part of the Godhead, right? And we know that God's very character is oneness. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all one, even though it, one person, three functions, and they all live in community. There's a spirit of love. There's a spirit of respect, a spirit of common purpose. And there's, but they all have their different functions and the way they do it, but they all stay in a sense of oneness about that. And he says, I want them to experience what it's like to live in that kind of oneness, that kind of peace, that kind of love. I'm praying that for the world. And so that's why I think it's interesting that the analogy that of all the analogies God could have picked, that we find that Jesus gives us the analogy, he's the head, right? And then under Jesus as the head, how many bodies are there in the world? of Jesus. Okay, y'all, somebody's got to know. One. There is only one body of Jesus in the world. Now, we are different parts. We have different giftings, 
But nowhere in Scripture did it say Jesus has however many bodies, right? Jesus came to give us one. It's interesting to me that you look at it in the... You know, prior, after Jesus died and he rose again, the church went for a thousand years and they had their differences. They had their struggles with trying to figure out the belief system. I mean, it wasn't all just written down in a clear manual, right? Our beliefs have kind of, there's been some shaping throughout scripture over time. For the first thousand years, the church figured out how to continue to stay at the table and talk and work together to work through differences. They did it through councils. They did it through uh, church leadership. They did it in a variety of ways, but they stayed together until 1054. And in 1054, we had the very first church split. It was the church of the East and the church of the West. And if you look at what they split over, it was, it was some disagreements within the church. It wasn't big, probably theological issues, though there were some of those. They split, and they formed the Church of the West, which was the Roman Catholic Church, and they formed the Church of the East, which is the Eastern Orthodox. 1,000 years, we went without a split. We had the first one. And then in 1500s, we started the Protestant Reformation. And then there was kind of this era of starting to split up the church. So there became several more denominations during that time. But you know today how many denominations there are in the world? They tell us that we are at 45,000 plus denominations across our world, and 200 of those are in the United States. It's interesting, isn't it, how division has a way of, divide, of growing and multiplying. When you get a divisive spirit, it just starts to divide, and it seems to fraction. And then we get focused. Are we focused on Jesus anymore, or do we get focused on all of our issues? And that tends to divide us and separate us. And we're no longer living in that focusing oneness that God ideally would desire for us. And so Jesus knew, I believe, that these struggles, these temptations would come for division. And he was never against that we couldn't have differing views. I think those do help refine us. But when divisions come that start to pit followers of Jesus against one another, I think this falls outside God's desire. And God's will. But how do you do? How do you live in that? We live in a fallen, broken world where that stuff comes. But let me show you what happens when division enters into us. And this is probably for all of us. So I just want you to take stock of your own soul at this particular moment, not somebody else, yourself. But whenever we come into division, here's some things I see happen. First of all, division tends to bring the temptation to view other Christians suspiciously. Whenever I don't agree with your perspective or you don't agree with me, immediately we start to go, what's your real agenda? What do you really believe? Are you really after God's heart? Are you really after some other agenda, right? We start to get suspicious of one another. And so we immediately start to pull back and say, I can't trust you. We also start to seek, um, when we're, we get kind of focused in those moments of, not focusing on maybe this, the mission of Christ, we get focused on we're trying to protect a mission or we're trying to defend God. How many of us think God needs defended? I mean, can God stand up for God's self? Probably so. But we think it's my job to defend God. I think God has done pretty well over time, and if he gets ticked off enough, he will take care of it, okay? So just don't you tick him off, okay? But we've been pretty, God's been pretty patient with a world that's pretty messed up. Or we start to question one another who's truly right. And 
Who's most loving? Is that side more, am our side more loving or is their side more loving? Is their side more scriptural? Is our side more scriptural? Is this side more just? Is that side more just? More merciful? Whatever you want to do, we immediately start to draw the lines, right? And we say, I am this, you are not. And I totally question your whole motivation of why and they question mine. That's what happens in division. And and who's got it all figured out? Who's got it all right? But what difference it would be, folks, because we have to decide who is right. How do we make decisions in the church when we get into divisive moments? It either comes down to it's going to be ourself that's going to make the decision. I don't know if I want that weight personally. I'm not sure I'm smart enough to figure out every division in the church and what's the right way to move forward. Or we have traditionally in the church looked at church leadership. We looked at popes and we've looked at bishops and we've looked at church elders, right? And we've looked at church councils to try to give us that wisdom. And they've done fairly good because we trust sometimes that they're really trying. They have some knowledge, some understanding. Maybe we don't always when we haven't had some of that higher limit. And we hold them to a higher accountability. But here's the deal, folks. I honestly believe whenever we're focusing in division, the first thing we need to do is make sure that our individual desire is that at the end of the day, I just want God, your will and glory to transpire. God, I just want you to get the glory in this, this to be about what you want to have happen, and this is not about me. This is not about somebody else. This is about you. Because the only way we're going to find oneness is in you. It will not come from me or my neighbor or the church council. It's going to come from God, and we've got to center there. And if we can all be in agreement, we're all trying to go to that place, it starts to open up a whole different vantage point of how we're going to posture with one another. That's hard work, folks. It's not easy, and it takes time. And I don't know about y'all, but when I start dealing with family struggles and family divisions at times, I don't really want to go there, and I don't want to spend time at my Thanksgiving dinner trying to solve all of this. Because I know how many times that will not go well. Because this takes time, this takes commitment, this takes a lot of work when we get into these moments. And that's why the church family needs to make space for it and give space to one another. See, I believe oneness is a miracle of God. True oneness, when it happens in a way that Jesus is talking about, is a way that the world looks at how did you ever get to a place you can live in that kind of spirit with one another, even when we may not agree. And the, Jesus said that when they see, when the world sees that kind of oneness, they go, we want to be part of something like that because that is not our world. And they say, there has to be something holy in that, that God has shown up and that they come to believe you must know Christ because there's no other way that's happening. And we want to know that Jesus too. That's why oneness is such a powerful piece that I think Jesus was praying for us. So how do we live in a oneness posture? Let me just give you a couple of things that I think Scripture gives us direction in this. These are not quick fixes, but this is a posture in which when we face division, how do we step into it rightly? I think, first of all, we follow Jesus' model. We pray, right? We pray, Lord, make us one. We may not agree 
But make us one in heart that at the end of the day, God, we want your will to be accomplished. We want to glorify you, and we want to be a space that glorifies God and that people encounter God's love no matter who they are. So, Lord, we may not agree at the end of this, but we are praying that you would make us one in heart and are fully, that we're fully committed to God and one another. And we pray for the body, that Christ would be one, that Christ would be at the center of who we are. See, I believe when we pray, there's a powerful thing. When you pray and I pray, it allows God to shape us. It allows God to change us. It allows God to teach us. Because it's a, it's a posturing. So prayer is a powerful part, and that's where I think we have to start. Now, secondly, the Apostle Paul wrote, and um, if you have your Bibles, you can look at this. I think it's on the screen this morning. I want to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. It says this, Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And here's the words. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So Jesus, or Paul starts out this text, he says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm a prisoner. I have totally surrendered my life to following Christ. I want whatever Jesus wants to do and however God wants to work it. And if you look at Paul's life, he didn't always get it right. And Paul still had some divisions with some people that weren't right. But Paul at least is trying to get in that posture, right, of I am a servant of Christ. I want to be totally in where God wants to go. And he gives us these instructions in addition to prayer. The first one he says is be completely humble. I believe this is really where I acknowledge I'm not God. And I have full under, and that I have a full understanding of God's mind. Anybody got it figured out? I, I don't. You know, um, I have been, folks, I have to own, I have been influenced by my worldview. I've been influenced by my experiences, my church upbringing, my parents' teaching, my teachers I've had over me. I've been influenced by what I have read. I have a whole lot of stuff that characterizes why I believe and think the way I do. And you know what? Take yourself outside the American culture and then go to a whole other part of the world and do that. You see how divided we are? I carry a lot with me and I have to be super humble when I step into a space with somebody because they're also carrying all theirs. And we interpret through all of those filters. And if we're going to be one, it means I've got to recognize I've got those. I've got those stories. I've got those painful moments. I've got that joyful thing. I've got whatever it is that's painting your perception. You carry that with you into those moments. And it really means that we have to just, I, I'm going to be humble right now. And I really want the best for, I realize I want God to be at the source of this. So in the body of Christ, there really is a spirit. We're willing to hear and work to understand one another, even if we don't undergree. It means I, I'm here. I want to hear how you understand Scripture in this. How did you get there? How about your traditions? What has about your traditions? How do you understand traditions, and how are they been influenced? What about your personal experience, and how has that shaped you, and, and your reasoning, what's brought you there? Folks, we've got to always be bringing 
a willingness to say, I may not agree with you at the end of the day, we may not be at the same space, but I hear where you came from and how you got there. And we realize we're still trying to, at the end of the day, be faithful unto God. We all are just trying to be faithful unto God. And be careful, y'all, because I'll tell you what I do find that the one thing that the enemy tries to do in our world is will God, he will always try to move God to the margins of the conversation. He'll always try to focus it on us, our personhood, our reasoning, and try to move God out of the picture instead of at the center. Just be aware. It tends to happen. So on both sides, if we can say we're both trying to seek God and hear God's voice, and we can hear to each other's opinions in the different way we see things. And it really requires us to realize we're not better than anybody else. That's hard sometimes because I think I am pretty smart. You're supposed to laugh. <laughs> that we think we're, you know, but we're all at times, right? We're all human. We're all sinners. And we don't have it figured out. I was reminded of this um, I was in, when I was doing my doctoral work, um, we had, uh, I read one of, the, one of the options was to read a book on African theology. Now, what I found from that was very interesting, that really the Western church, we in Europe, from Europe descent, we kind of own theology. A lot of theology has been developed. The books that are written came out of our German heritage and our English heritage and our American heritage. We own the theology. And so if any other country, third world, Lord forbid, or second world or whatever, we go, oh, they haven't arrived with the same knowledge we have. And so we tend to filter that theology and can easily dumb it down to like, wait, we're here to teach you theology. And so to read a book on African theology of how they're encountering God, whoa, that was some eye-opening stuff. And it was interesting. You know, we have our stuff we fight and struggle about. One of the big things in this book I was reading was it was about polygamy. How many of you have dealt with polygamy lately? It was a big... (laughs) We're checking it out, making sure. There is a moment of confession after the service. But in polygamy, for them... It's like, whoa, that's just stupid. Nobody does polygamy anymore. We know that's dumb. I'm having a hard enough time figuring out one spouse. It's hard. And yet, they're dealing with it. But what was dealing, it's a lot bigger issue than just, oh, is this right or wrong? It ties into all kinds of justice issues. Because if all of a sudden somebody says, well, I've become a Christian now. I need to get rid of all my extra spouses. What about who's going to take care of them financially and who's going to take care of the kids and how these, all these things. It's just not a matter of we just change it. There's all kinds of stuff in there and how people got to where they were and why they are the way they are. And if we just come at it with it's a right or wrong, that's not going to get us anywhere. But I, I just say how complex, do you see how complex this stuff is? And we're just dealing with a very simple issue. We haven't even tapped on all the other things we could go to. So one is be humble, completely humble, I've got to move on. But the second is then be gentle. Be gentle, Paul says. Gentleness flows from those who realize how completely dependent they are on God. When I step into a divisive conversation and I realize, I have to realize I just need God because I don't, I'm not smart enough to have it all figured out. It's a posture of gentleness 
that I'm dependent on God. I'm dependent on God's grace. I'm dependent on the Holy Spirit to help teach me and instruct me. And when we realize, and then think about how gentle God's been towards us. Anybody ever done anything stupid? Anybody had some ideas that you think God might say, what were you thinking? And has God wiped you off the face of the earth? Has God come and reprimanded you and beat you down and said, I'm having nothing else ever to do with you again? I don't ever see that. God comes and God continues to say, I am going to stay at the table with you. Even when you are way off, God is gentle with us. And then be patient. James writes in James 1.19, Dear brothers and sisters, we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I realize that sometimes we have our own stuff that drives our anger and our frustration. But he says, listen to one another. Be slow to respond. Hear one another. And don't jump to getting angry. Our job isn't to deal, we aren't the judges on all this. That's God's job. So we pray that in our disagreement, the Lord would give us understanding and a heart to work together. That we're really patient. Lord, I, we want help us to stay at the table, to continue to talk, continue to learn how to be people that can be at the table even when we are on different sides. And to bear with one another in love, Paul says. Jesus forbore with us in love. You think about it. He bore with me in my, ba- in, my, in my annoying habits. He's forbearing with me in my strong opinions, in my misconceptions, in my wrong attitudes. He's even stuck with me in my sins. And there are things, folks, I do every day that I'm sure are outside of God's will and direction. And yet God still says, I choose to stay at the table with you. He didn't write me off. Aren't you glad he hasn't written you off too? And he didn't call us to write one another off. We're staying at the table. Because we are called, Jesus prayed that we would be one. So we folks need to commit. We're not going to let division, a spirit of division, get a seed. Because it never brings life. It never takes us where we hope it will go. Because Jesus has called us to be one. That as we all are trying just to say, Lord, we just want to be all in for you. Help us to do that together. And when we come with our differences, help us to stay at the table, to hear one another, to love with one another, and to give your Holy Spirit space to minister to us.